I'm Josh Hammer, and welcome back to America on Trial, your brand new daily podcast, getting you all the information you need to get through your day and feel better prepared as we approach this unprecedented and lawfare-riddled presidential election, the forthcoming rematch between the doddering dolt from Delaware, Joe Biden, and former and perhaps future president, Donald Trump. So good Monday morning, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed the Super Bowl last night. It was a really thrilling game, at least for the sports fans among you. It's yet another busy week here on the legal calendar. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in and go around the horn. So today is a huge deadline in Washington, D.C., Last week, you finally had the ruling from a three-judge panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which denied which denied President Trump's sweeping claim of presidential immunity. His claim essentially argued that he cannot be prosecuted, period, full stop, end of story, for actions taken while he was serving as commander-in-chief. And I, as I've argued on this show some of the legal eagles in the commentariat and the chattering class like to try to delineate some kind of purported sharp distinction between actions taken in a, quote, official capacity or actions taken in a, quote, political capacity. We're talking here about the events between the, the November 2020 election and January 6, 2021. I, I dissent. I, I reject that dichotomy. I reject the notion that you can sharply, sharply categorize various acts that a president takes as quote-unquote official or quote-unquote political. This is what a lot of the arguments here in this D.C. Circuit immunity case hinged upon, namely, were Donald Trump's efforts to, as his opposition says, quote-unquote, overturn the 2020 election, or as his supporters say, to root out fraud and to investigate and to do this and do that. It was a quote-unquote official or was a quote-unquote political. And, and my answer is that it really is a little bit of both. Yes, it's political insofar as he's trying to secure his re-election big. It's also, it's also official insofar as he is the commander-in-chief. He is the executive. He is vested with the, quote, executive power, of which Article 2, Section 1, Section 1 Clause 1 in the Constitution speaks. And therefore, he is in a, a unique and plenary position to direct his Department of Homeland Security, his attorney general, and so forth to, to investigate substantive allegations of fraud and, and all that. In any event, in any event, the panel last week decided that no, he does not have immunity. And today, today is the deadline for Trump's legal team there in Washington, D.C. to decide what to do in this case. And all signs, all signs are pointing towards that they are going to request a stay. They're going to request a formal stay from the U.S. Supreme Court they have until the end of the day today to do so. In effect, asking for a stay in this case would freeze, would freeze the litigation and put it in place. That would then allow for some more options. They could essentially package a request for a stay with a formal filing of a writ of certiorari, which is a writ of cert, is kind of the common legal abbreviation for that, and that would be asking the Supreme Court to hear this case on the merits, to actually get an expedited ruling where they rule in on the substantive constitutional question, and statutory, but mostly constitutional questions, as to whether or not the president has this kind of full-scale immunity. Now, the, the alternative way that this could work out, and what I actually predict is going to happen here, is that they just request a stay, and then down at the D.C. circuit level, you have the president's legal team request to, to hear this case 
before what is known as the en banc court, the full 11 judges of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals there. Now, it's going to be a little bit up to the Supreme Court. It's going to be, it's really going to be kind of in their hands as to how they want to play it. Assuming again that they that the Trump legal team there in D.C. does go ahead and request this stay, which I have every reason to believe that that they are going to do. As we've said on this show, and I'll reiterate here, if you're the Trump lawyers there in Washington D.C. in particular, and let's let's zoom out just for a second here. If you think about the four prosecutions of Donald Trump, you have you have Fonnie Willis in Georgia. That we'll get to that in a second. That thing seems to be imploding. You've got Alvin Bragg in New York. That thing looks like it's going to be the first off the starting line, but it's a total joke and everyone knows it. You've got this classified documents case in Mar-a-Lago in Florida, and then you have the Jack Smith sprawling election related case in D.C. That that lattermost case really is the crown jewel of the Biden regime's eye. That is the case that Joe Biden internally is mumbling to his people, is mumbling to Merrick Garland, is, is probably mumbling through back channels to, to Jack Smith himself, trying to get them to expedite this thing and to move it along. That is the one that they are really, politically speaking, resting a lot of their 2020 substantive case on, the fact that Trump is an insurrectionist and all of that there. So they really, really want this thing to move forward. So that means that from a Trump legal perspective, and he has some excellent attorneys there representing him in this D.C. Circuit case, folks like John Sauer, the very talented former Solicitor General of Missouri, folks like my friend Will Scharf, who's currently running for Attorney General of, of Missouri, who's also a, a lawyer for Trump on this case, very, very talented lawyers. They, I think they understand that, that one of their goals here is to just run out the clock, is to run out the clock literally and proverbially speaking. And what that means in this case is to just use all the procedural quirks to elongate this as much as possible. And what that cashes out to is seeking for a stay to halt the denial of immunity from the three-judge D.C. Circuit panel last week, while they then go back to request a full en banc hearing before the D.C. Circuit. And then who knows? After that, let's say that it is denied. Let's say hypothetically that it is denied. You probably still get a nice, strong dissent from a more conservative pro-Article 2, pro-presidential power judge like a Judge Katsis or a Judge Rao in the D.C. Circuit, then you probably get another shot at the Supreme Court apple as well. But the Supreme Court could essentially bypass that if they decide to both grant a stay and hear the case on the merits on an expedited fashion. So we'll have a lot more information on this by the end of the day today. We'll get back to you with an update on tomorrow's episode, of course, of America on Trial. In other Trump prosecution-related news, we, we are having some preliminary hearings both today and tomorrow in the other Jack Smith case, the Florida Classified Documents case, having some hearings pertaining to the Classified Information Procedures Act. This is a somewhat obscure congressional statute that was ratified in the early 1980s. Uh, it, was, it was actually shepherded through the Senate Judiciary Committee, interestingly enough, by then Senator from Delaware, Joe Biden, and the Classified Information Procedures Act basically outlines a somewhat arcane and Byzantine series of procedures by which classified information can be introduced at trial, because that is obviously happening there in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case in D.C., and the statute is basically trying to make sure that Sixth Amendment protections are in place, where you, this is the confrontation clause, where you have the ability to confront the witnesses against you at trial. So we're having some hearings on that. It's really important to suss out all of this. But every time you have this level of classified documents introduced at trial, it's going to create a lot of delays and, and, and struggles and timeline issues and things like that. So that's that's happening today and tomorrow in Judge Aileen Cannon's courthouse in the state of Florida. We are also expecting another another ruling 
later this week, potentially. Uh, we're estimated to get this by Friday. This is just the, the estimate on the legal calendar from Justice Arthur Ngoron. He is the New York State judge who has been presiding over New York Attorney General Tish James's fraud civil case against the Trump organization, alleging that the Trump organization has been organized in fraudulent fashion and they've undervalued their properties and they've secured more favorable bank loans at better interest rates and this and that. It's a really chilling fishing expedition of a case there. But we're expecting to hear from Justice Ngoron roughly by Friday. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, but according to my legal calendar, now it's probably going to come in later this week, early next week at the latest. It is not really a question as to whether they are going to find Donald Trump liable. It's not guilty, but it's liable because it's technically a civil case, not a criminal case. It's not really a question, unfortunately, as to whether they're going to find him liable in this harrowing, chilling fishing expedition of a fraud case. Rather, the only question is what kind of damages, what kind of monetary damages are they going to find there? Justice Ngoron has shall we say, not been particularly favorable or friendly to Trump or his attorneys representing him in this case. So we're expecting a, a potentially large sum of damages there. We're, we're, we're going to have to see. Hopefully we get some more information on that later this week. Speaking of later this week, we are also anticipating this huge, huge evidentiary hearing on Thursday morning in Fulton County, Georgia. This is the hearing that has been a result for two to three weeks now of Trump co-defendant Michael Roman's motion to dismiss this indictment and disqualify DA Fonnie Willis from the case. Last last we heard from Fonnie Willis, she was openly admitting in court as to her affair with Nathan Wade. There are now questions as to whether she has even lied about the about the timelines of that affair. We have some smoking gun evidence from Congressman Jason Smith, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee up in D.C. in the U.S. Congress. Some smoking gun evidence from last week where he had access to the White House visitors logs and was showing to the world, really, that Fonnie Willis was in and out of the Biden White House numerous times, spending seemingly hours on end meeting with the Joe Biden White House counsel's office, trying to collude and to team up to gang up on Trump between both the federal level there and the state level, represented by the Fulton County, Georgia DA's office. Nasty, nasty stuff. Really, really awful stuff. Trump is looking extraordinarily lucky there in that Georgia case. That case is totally up in smoke. So we could have some, some, more, some more indication as early as this Thursday as to whether or not Fonnie Wills is even going to be fit to stand trial there in Fulton County or whether they're going to have to basically disqualify her from the case and a different county, a different DA there in the state of Georgia is going to have to take up the mantle there. We'll, we'll have some more information on that, hopefully as early as this Thursday, likely Friday at the latest. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. 
So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. So with all of that said, let's go into today's deep dive. And we talked about this a little bit on the show on Friday. Friday was just a gangbusters crazy of a legal news cycle with all the things going on there. You, have, you of course, had the argument at the U.S. Supreme Court last Thursday, the Trump versus Anderson case, the case to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot under the so-called insurrection clause, section three of the 14th Amendment. And we, we almost, it, it almost got buried simply by dint of the fact that there was so much else going on in the news cycle that th there was this massive, massive special counsel report that came out from special counsel Robert Hur. So it's worth just unpacking this a little bit more there. We, we discussed it on the show on Friday, but I want, I want to just flag some more thoughts and, and some more food for thought here as, as we get closer and closer to this, to this presidential election. So by now we know that the Biden White House was so, so upset by Robert Hur's very detailed special counsel report that they held this impromptu press conference, this, this impromptu conference in front of the nation on Thursday evening trying to disprove Robert Hur's allegations that the president is mentally unfit and not up for office. Ironically, perhaps, it seems that they grossly failed to do so, to put it mildly there. You had the president of the United States get up there in front of the nation and just totally confuse the president of Mexico with the president of Egypt. He called the president of Mexico President El Sisi. President El Sisi would, of course, be the president of Egypt. So that, that did not work, to put it mildly there. But it, it, it would be totally fair to conclude, after special counsel Robert Hur's blistering, blistering report on Thursday, that as of right now, assuming, as I think we still have to assume, that we are looking at a Trump versus Biden rematch, that you have one candidate, one candidate who the prosecutorial apparatuses of the United States of America deem to be mentally fit and mentally competent to stand trial, that would be Donald Trump. He's facing two federal prosecutions from Jack Smith in D.C. and Florida. One, incidentally, when it comes to his handling or mishandling, allegedly, of classified documents. You have one who is fit to stand trial in the eyes of the federal prosecutorial apparatuses of the United States and one who is not. Th that is just a very simple, blunt, and yes, entirely accurate takeaway of Robert Hur's blistering report that he released on Thursday. The stuff in here is frankly just, just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Allegations that Joe Biden didn't remember when his son, Bo Biden, died. Uh, the idea that Joe Biden didn't know whether he was still vice president of the United States, which is right here. It's right here in the Robert Her report there. And, you know, bear in mind, bear in mind that 
when you look at the actions that Joe Biden took when it came to his handling classified documents versus Donald Trump's handling of classified documents, Donald Trump was acting as a president of the United States. And when you are the president of the United States, when you are vested with the quote-unquote executive power, of which Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1, the Constitution speaks, you arguably have full plenary constitutional power to declassify any document at any time that you want, period, full stop, end of story, no matter what any statute or regulation to the contrary says, because the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Statutes, regulations, and ordinances, and so forth, are all subservient to that. That is the holding of Marbury versus Madison, the landmark seminal case from Chief Justice John Marshall of 1803. So it's arguably even inherently constitutional power to make these sort of declassification decisions with or without according to or not according to the various procedures that statute and administrative state regulation prescribe. Having said that, there is also a direct statute in the books called the Presidential Records Act that would seem to be on point here. It is, it is also, by the way, a civil, not even a criminal statute there. And this was the argument that a lot of, that a lot of the lawyers in, in Trump's camp made at the, t- at the time of the Mar-a-Lago raid in August 2022, and I, can, I continue to think that it is probably right. It's a close legal question as to whether the Presidential Records Act, the civil statute here, is on point. If you recall the Jack Smith prosecution there when it comes to Trump's handling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago relies upon a World War I-era statute known as the Espionage Act, not a common statute to prosecute people on, to put it mildly. It has, it has long been a bugaboo of First Amendment absolutists, civil libertarians, you know, Jonathan Turley's, Alan Dershowitz's, folks like that. But the point is that from a both a constitutional executive power and a statutory Presidential Records Act perspective, Donald Trump was in a much stronger position than was Joe Biden, who at the time that he was mishandling classified documents, according to this Robert Hur report, he was none of those things. He was a longtime U.S. senator from Delaware, and then he was vice president of the United States. The, the vice president of the United States, just to underscore this point, has just as much inherent, quote-unquote, executive power as I do. That is to say he has none. The executive power of the United States, as it is vested in the first clause of Article 2 of the Constitution, is vested in one person and one person only. That is the president of the United States. Some folks refer to this as, quote-unquote, unitary executive theory. To me, that seems overly theorized and overly intellectualized and more than a little bit too wordy. It's otherwise known as just common sense. Okay, the president has the executive power. No one else does. Not the vice president, not the attorney general, not your dog catcher, not me, not you, not anyone else. That's literally just how it works. Nonetheless, here in the Robert Herr special counsel report, you see Joe Biden serially mishandling classified documents over and over again. Now, it is true. It is true that it is longstanding Department of Justice policy going back at least to the Nixon administration from 1973 that a sitting president, a sitting president cannot be indicted. That is correct. That, that, that is a proper view of constitutional structure. Again, the president has exec- the executive power solely and exclusively. It would be extraordinarily odd to prosecute a, a sitting president. Now, that does raise the question to an extent as to why this special counsel investigation was was warranted in in the first place. If it was a foregone conclusion, then no formal charges were going to be brought. And that is why you have now some some newfound shrieks of hysteria from some on the legal left, from the MSNBC crowd, about how this was a Republican hit job from within Biden's own DOJ because 
Robert Hur, who is a very gifted attorney, is a, a, a right of center man. He clerked on the Supreme Court for Chief Justice William Rehnquist, one of the great conservative jurists of the past half century or so. But I, I, it is very important to point out there as a bit of a countervailing data point that Robert Hur does go above and beyond, does go out of his way to note that even if it were not for that DOJ policy against indicting sitting presidents, that what happened here still would not rise to the level of a prosecutable offense. That, that was gratuitous language from my perspective. It was wholly unnecessary. I'm not entirely sure why he included that there. But for, for present purposes, from a political perspective there, this, this juxtaposition that Donald Trump is going to be able to utilize now on the campaign trail between his prosecution in Florida for classified documents retention, notwithstanding the fact that he seems to be protected on arguably both constitutional and statutory grounds, compared with this Robert Hur report when it comes to largely exculpating Joe Biden, while at the same time saying that his memory is totally shot, he's senile, doesn't remember when his son died, all of the above. Politically, this, this is quite good. This is quite good for the foreign president, Donald Trump, and, and I continue to think that this is only going to benefit him more and more on, on the campaign trail. The Democrats are in a serious, serious bind right now. It is not at all clear what they will do about their addle-brained, senile commander-in-chief. I continue to believe that they are going to have an extraordinarily difficult, perhaps impossible time trying to convince him to formally step aside. I think that they are stuck with Joe Biden, whether they want him or not whether they want his clearly, clearly failing memory and physical frailties or not. And I continue to think that we are headed towards that 2020 rematch of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now, the truth.